All right. I'm sitting here today with Sarah Roulier. And Sarah, why don't you go ahead and please introduce yourself and tell us your educational background. Yeah, so I am Sarah Roulier, um, and I recently graduated with my master's in clinical mental health counseling. Um, and yeah, I went to Liberty University after the University of Wyoming, where I got my undergrad in psychology. And um, yeah, finished that program and just decided I wanted I wanted more of psychology. So I went into uh, clinical mental health um, and loved it and got my internship and practicum and finished everything up um, in July of 2021. And so here we are now. I'm kind of figuring it out from here. Oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations to you, <laughs> Thank you. for finishing your degree. Uh, I also come from an undergrad in psychology. I feel like a, a lot of the a lot of people sometimes don't don't come from that from that background. Did you experience a lot of that in school, like in your masters, or other people from different undergrads and things like that? Oh my goodness, yes, and that was actually really encouraging to me when I met. Um, people who would come from like engineering or like these computer backgrounds too. I thought that was like the coolest thing ever that all of a sudden is like, that such a big switch. Um, and so, yeah, oh my goodness. I, people from all over. And I think my husband's an engineer. And so I was just, I thought that was so cool that, and I've always told him he would be a really good counselor because it's just the internal processing and I'm the exact <laughs> opposite. And so anyways, I just, yes, I, I found out that people come from all sorts of different backgrounds and that life experiences really shape the passion for counseling is what I learned quickly in my master's. Yeah, really. I, I, I noticed that too, which is, which is awesome. You just start noticing all these different people and what they bring and what kind of counselors they will be based on their background. So that's awesome. And since you mentioned passion, I always want to start there. What made you decide to be a counselor? Okay, so I, when I was in my undergrad, my initial thing that I thought I wanted to do was be occupational therapist. Um, I think just my whole life, everyone was like, wow, you're so social. And so that was kind of like continuously reinforced how social I was and outgoing. And that's never changed. So that that's kind of like the broad thing. But I think um, going deeper into that, I after getting my own counseling really, really in my undergrad is when I had my first kind of counseling experience and like three sessions. in, I was like, this is amazing. It's so helpful. I was like, we should all do this. We should all be in therapy. Like whether you've had severe trauma, not severe trauma, like whatever it is, it just, that was super encouraging to me and kind of reinforced this idea. And so actually I switched from occupational therapy to communications and communications. I was like, something's not clicking here and finally found psychology. And I was like, this is my, this is my thing. And just kind of grew my passion from there combined with, you know, just life experiences and a lot of reinforcement from friends and family of like, Hey, I think this could be a good fit for you. And I started kind of seeking it out and was like, I think it is too. So, um, that's kind of the sugar-coated answer. <laughs> No, I love that. And it really just highlights the the path that many students go through, you know, just figuring it out what they want to do, either 
they do that while they're in undergrad or later they become engineers and then they choose to change their, their majors. So yeah, I, I think that's awesome. It just makes it, you know, who you are and, and who you're going to be as a counselor. So I'm glad you found it. <laughs> yes, I am too. Cause I had no idea what I wanted to do going into my undergrad. I was like, Nope, I have no idea if I yeah. come out of here with like the Jen, because I kind of, I was under, I went undeclared actually for a long time because I was just freaking out. Like, I don't know what I want to do. Um, but now, yeah, it's, we figured it out now, now that I'm, you know, 26. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. And I'm not sure if you mentioned this in the beginning, but what school did you go to for clinical mental health counseling? Yeah, for my master's, I went to Liberty University. Okay. Was that like an online program or yeah, in person? Everything was online except for a few intensives. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. And I, I do an online program as well. And a lot of people I speak to either on the show or just connecting with people online. So it's like I get mixed answers. P- people go online, some go online, some don't. Some prefer online, some are completely against online. How was your experience doing an online degree? I really liked the flexibility that came with it. Um, and I also really liked that in the middle of it being online, there was also intensives that were in person that you had to be at. So I gained like really quick connections there because you were only there for a week or two on campus. And so, yeah, that was, that was, all, those were obviously my favorite weeks because I did get to be in person. So I'm sure I would have loved in-person classes because of that. Um, but the flexibility wise, just for my life and everything and not ever knowing where I'm going to live. Um, so yeah, I, I loved it. I loved being online. There was definitely times where I was like, man, it would be beneficial to raise my hand and ask a question right now. But um, the professors were all really, really amazing at getting back to us really quickly. So that was, that was good. That's good. That's awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah. And when I was choosing, you know, what path I was going to take, there were schools around nearby, you know, that I could have gone to and, and, and done an in-person, which I consider, I went and visited the schools and things like that, but I was, I just wasn't sure where I was going to be in a couple of years or if I wanted to be yeah. tied to an area or having to transfer universities. And, um, yeah, my, my fiance and I recently relocated to this part of Florida and it was all new to us. And even though we love it so far, we just had no idea if we were going to be here and for how long we would be here. And right. And you know what? We might be here for a long time now, but we just didn't know at the time. And I definitely yeah. didn't want to be tied to the school, which is was a reason that I ended up going to, to do an online program as well. And question for your online program was because mine, usually we do still classes online over video and where you meet over video and things like that. But I know there are some programs out there that are not. So how how was your experience? Yeah, mine was mixed. Um, some classes you had to be in for a lot of the first few classes. If I remember correctly, this makes me feel old. I'm like way back when. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was very mixed. So some classes you had to show up for at a certain time, but I would say the majority, it was uh, your own pace. Uh, it was towards the end that all of a sudden I was during practicum and internship when you were heavily supervised that we would connect a lot. And that those were my favorite 
classes, those practicum internship classes, because it was just so helpful to talk with other counselors and other students going through the same thing and ask my millions of questions. Um, so those were definitely, like I kind of said earlier, my favorite times when I did get to connect with other students. But for the most part, a lot of my classes were self-paced now that I'm looking back at it. We could just okay. kind of yeah, collaborate on our own with students, but um, yeah, for the most part, it was just kind of watching videos and keep and trying to keep thing. up the best you can. Yeah, which is a blessing and a curse because then it's all on you to make sure you're getting it done. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it must be must be very hard. So, wanted to ask is is going back to like your initial process of choosing a school. Of course, you wanted to be online for the flexibility and things like that. But what, what would you say is some of the most important things to consider when choosing a school for students listening to the show? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I wish I would have heard someone's answer to this before I chose a school. So um, for sure. So I would say the first thing to decide is how important is it for you to be licensed? Um, mm. Because right now, at least where things seem to be trending, definitely if you're looking to be an LPC. Um, I would definitely make sure your school's K-Corrupt accredited, um, which I don't know how much every, I didn't learn about that until like right at the beginning. And thank goodness Liberty's program was K-Corrupt accredited um, because I do hope to be licensed someday. And um, so I'd say that's, that's one of the biggest things to look out for, for me, at least that's the first thing that comes to mind is that's like, if, you, if you're not as interested in being licensed and just kind of want some counseling tools under your belt, you can probably go to supplement whatever occupation you're already in. You can probably go through a smaller program that, that isn't necessarily accredited. Um, but KCREP accredited is definitely, I learned quickly, very, it's the gold standard. So yeah, that's true. And a, yeah. a lot of the times when I ask that question, I always get the same response, which I love because, you know, when you hear something over and over again, like people get it. So I'm hoping yeah. that those students that are hoping to, to join a program, maybe in the fall, or maybe it's something that they want to do after they finish their undergrad, that they know the importance of making sure it's a K-CREP university if, if, if they plan to be licensed or yeah. you know, just don't plan to have any issues later down the road with that kind of stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. That's yeah, and hopefully one day counseling, like everything will be accredited and then we won't have to go through every time we move to a new state, go through a whole new process. I know there's so many people advocating for that and I love it. I'm all about it. Yeah, <laughs> really is. Yeah, there, it really is. And I appreciate your insight on that too. I also think it's very important. So, um, and then going back into important things while being a student, <laughs> what would you say is some of the most important attributes to, to a counselor, a counseling student per se? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I, I feel like I talk forever about this because <laughs> I remember do. being, <laughs> I remember being in school and being kind of overwhelmed and by kind of a lot of overwhelmed. I just wanted, I remember wanting to learn all the theories and like get straight into like CBT and how do we, how do we like effectively make change? Like I just, that was at the forefront of my mind. Cause that was like the cool thing. Like that was the cool thing to learn for me. Um, and then going to those intensives that I went to in person, 
um, I was so excited. I was like, we're going to learn such cool theories and interventions and it's going to be amazing. And I get there and the professors like the whole week, especially in the first uh, more basic skills intensive, the whole week was just like listening skills, like basic listening skills. And all of us, all the students were like, seriously, like, obviously we're counselors. We all know how to listen. You know, all of us are being so stubborn a little bit. And I look back now after my internship and getting some experience and I was like, I get it. I get why they pound that into you because it's so important without the, without the foundation of being a good active listener, the theories and interventions don't matter. They matter, but not until you can, you can get that good foundation of being a good listener, developing rapport, those things that typically come natural or more naturally if you're going into the counseling field. But if we overlook them, we can lose sight of those things. So I don't know if that made sense, but that's, that's like one of the biggest things that stuck out to me. Um, looking back now is like, whoa, thank goodness. They made me go through these crazy listening exercises. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So important. I, I, I was just doing a class where we had to like, um, do like clinical in, you know, interviews, uh, with mock clients, you know, other students yeah. and yeah, those, are the th- best. <laughs> those are fun, right? <laughs> oh my God. I was so nervous before my first one. <laughs> oh man. I was too. I was so nervous, but it's funny when you're there again, it's really just practicing listening and a- acknowledging that what they're saying and things like that. And sure. It's, it's a mock scenario. It's not real. But that's really what it is in in real life, wouldn't you say? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember, I remember, yeah, that first mock interview being so, so scared. But then even further than that, my first session, I remember just my supervisor, it was amazing. I was so blessed with where I was at, um, or with my supervisor, but um she was, she was busy and I was like freaking out. And I have a friend of a friend who I know is an LPC or was going to her LPC. And I just needed to talk to someone because I was so nervous before this first session. And one of the things she said to me was, if you do anything in your first session, it needs to be to make the client feel heard. If you forget everything else, if you brain fart on everything else, you need, like, if that's all you do, you've been successful is make the person feel heard. And I, that was so helpful for me to hear because I remember going to my first session, like trying to cram all of the, well, she feels this way. I need to do this. And if this, and like almost robotic because mm. your education, it's, you know, you're memorizing things and you're learning about all different disorders and things on the surface, all these things that you're just trying to, to what's the word I'm trying to think of kind of compound into one thing into one bubble and it's so much and so overwhelming because our our minds especially at that point and the point I'm at now are just such babies in the field and so I just was so nervous trying to think of all the theories and interventions and all the things that I needed to do in my first session and the intake form and after um, this friend of a friend told me this I was just like you're right and I went in so much calmer because I got that piece of advice. And I think it's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard. So many people come in just really first and foremost, needing to feel understood. Yeah, a hundred percent. And how would you say we can do that? How can we as students or counselors in training, how can we make sure that our, our clients are being heard and understood? Yeah. 
I love that question because I, I think of the quote, listen with the intent to understand, not with the intent to respond. Mm. And I think as counselors, there's a lot of pressure on us to respond, at least in my little experience. And when I say little, it's just little, little experience. But I remember feeling this pressure, like they're waiting for me to diagnose them. They're waiting for me to fix, in quotes, them. They're waiting for our response as counselors. And you feel that pressure. But when you take that out of the room and take that pressure out of the room and are just there and sitting with them with whatever they're going through, it's, it can really be life-changing for that person to, yes, eventually, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying some of this stuff because the diagnostics, everything, all that's so important. But in, especially in those first few sessions, when you're developing rapport, if you're just trying to respond and be like, you know, whatever it is, if you're, if you're listening with the intent to understand, not to respond, you are reflective and kind of, you know, those paraphrasing skills and all those things like, okay, so just let, let me get this straight. Are you, am I hearing you right? Those yes. types of things are so important on making someone feel, feel understood. Oh, I love that because a couple episodes back, that's literally what I was talking about, about, you know, my experience doing my clinical interviews and how it was and the techniques I was trying to, 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 to do and things like that. And of course, that was what was put on in our minds, you know, please just practice listening, practicing, understanding them and summarizing and paraphrasing and things like that. But yeah. I completely understand you feel like in the moment you have to kind of come up with a solution, like right away, like, oh, we're like, that's what they're here for. They need a solution. But again, yep. in theory, the, the clinical interviews might be a little bit more challenging because of that, because maybe they're 10, 15 minutes long. And you feel like, okay, now I'm wrapping up. Where's the solution? But in reality, though, you're sitting with the, with the client for 40 to 50 minutes, you know, and you're going to see them more than once, hopefully. <laughs> right. Hopefully they come back. And you don't have to have that solution on that first day, that first interaction mm -hmm. with the client. And yeah. I feel like where I struggle the most is just the silence. Mm-hmm. Oh, can you relate yes. to that? Like the, the, cause sometimes I feel like, okay, I'm being, I'm just thinking and it's like, it doesn't mean that I'm not listening to you, but I feel like I would get caught up on that moment of like, okay, I, maybe I have to say something or I feel like that's where I was struggling most. Can you relate to that? Anything you can add about that? Yes. Oh my goodness. I relate to this so much. And there were some students who I, you know, we, we would kind of watch each other's interviews. I was like, how did you do that? That was, that was felt like an eternity to sit in silence for even, you know, 10 seconds can feel like an hour in our mind when we're sitting mm. in silence as a counselor, because we're like, you know, you feel like the leader. And I think that silence this is something that really helped me with the, with the silence thing, because yes, I can relate 100%. It was so hard for me to learn the skills, still a work in progress. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that helped me was changing my mindset to, I mean, depending on the client, but off most often being if the client's leading, if it's silent, okay, that's, that's partly their choice to be in silence. And mm -hmm. some of the coolest, the coolest, um, revelations or whatever you want to call it were came out of silence from the counselor mm. allowing that silence to sit in the room and let what they what whatever needs to come up out of them next instead of speaking out of your own discomfort and I would say so I worked with a lot of teenagers 
And I would say I had to learn silence so quickly because teenagers will make you work for it. They will make you work (laughs) for a quick conversation and counseling. And I learned it was like, you know, until you're ready to talk, I'm just going to sit here. And so I think that I, I got what I I definitely, because it was such a hard skill working with teenagers, really accelerated the learning curve for that one because uh, a lot of times they were very quiet. <laughs> I can't can imagine if I was a teenager in counseling, that's that would be me right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially, right? especially if you don't want to go, like, like, why am I even here, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and I hear a lot of stories that, and we see a lot of videos in, in, in training as well, you know, of those kind of situations. But yeah, and like you said, and I absolutely love that because the silence is not only needed for the counselor, it's needed for the client. Mm-hmm. They need that silence. So they yep. can process, so they can come up with a solution on their own, because essentially they need to come up with a solution on their own or maybe visualize things on their own a lot of the times. And I mm-hmm. love that, like what you said, that silence really does that for both. It's not always the responsibility of the, the client or I'm sorry, the counselor to to know what to say next, but giving mm-hmm. them space to process what they just said. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, if that silence is going on too long, I even started to be like, do you want to take a minute, you know, just address the silence in the room. Yeah, Um, that that immediacy skill, like, hey, I noticed that it's, you know, you're processing and that it's been quiet. Is is there something you want to? So if you do absolutely have to break that silence, I like to use that immediacy skill. But um, yeah, I, I think I think silence can be so amazing. I never thought I'd say that either because when I was in those intensives learning silence, I was like, this is too hard. I'm just going to avoid this part of it. But I think a lot of times breaking that silence is from the counselor's own discomfort, which isn't necessarily the most beneficial thing to do for the client. And so it's, it's really hard to work through. So if you do struggle with silence, you are not alone because it is, (laughs) it's hard well I feel so good listening hearing that I'm glad I'm not alone (laughs) because even though talking about it makes me feel good I'm like and I'm learning as as you're telling me and which is again why I love doing these shows and and bringing on people so I can learn and and pass on that knowledge to others so I'm learning but I still can imagine when I'm gonna do my practicum or internship and how terrifying that's gonna be but hopefully at that moment I can remember some of these things and and work through it (laughs) yeah so yeah and it's hard I wanted to jump because another thing you said is like, we're always so focused in learning these different theories and understanding the different diagnoses and things like that. And all the different disorders, it's just so much. Right. And we can easily get overwhelmed with all of these things that we have to do. When in reality, like you said, sometimes most, most clients really just want to be understood. Of course we have clients that, have more complex issues and things like that. Um, But how do you, how can we um, help students like me (laughs) who feel overwhelmed with the amount of work, who feel overwhelmed with the amount of things they need to learn in in short, short time? Yeah. Yeah. I think so that was, that one's really hard because I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm here with you in that still feeling that overwhelming like this, that was so much information I just learned. Now, how do I, you know, integrate that? How do I put it into practice, especially when you're still a student and you're not getting daily opportunities 
opportunities to put it into practice with real life clients. Um, and especially when it comes like, man, the history and theories and all those kinds of things that you, we all take in in school. It's like, okay, what number one, what do I do with the information? And it's just so much. It's so much. Um, I think returning when, when you do feel overwhelmed about those things, thinking about, okay, what, what's your purpose? Why did you start this? Why, why did you want to become a counselor? And returning to that, I think it's almost like a little, I don't know, I shouldn't call this a grounding technique. I'm just making things up now. So don't quote me here, but (laughs) it kind of, it brings you back to reality of you can, you get your head up in the clouds about, you know, what, what is it REBT or CBT or what's better this, you know, all these different arguments you can get into or things to debate or um, just, there's so many different approaches. Right. And I think grounding yourself, well, why did, why did you do this? Why did you start? Why did you want to become a counselor? Can be a little bit relieving Mm. because you can think, okay, I'm headed there. And all this information is just part of the steps to get me there. I don't, I don't know if that helps. For me, that helps me kind of come back to my senses and reality and say, okay, the basic reasons, my passion driving this is, you know, whatever it is, I want to help people. I don't want people to have to go through things alone, whatever your deeper purpose is returning to that. Um, when you feel that overwhelm can be, yeah, grounding and, and kind of comforting to think, okay, these are, this is all just part of the, the process to get there. And if you're doing your best, that's all you can do. That's good. I, I it absolutely is helpful to hear. And thank you for sharing that because ultimately everyone's going to have different paths. Everyone studies different. Everyone's a different student, you know, and it, it doesn't mean that you're doing yourself like it doesn't mean that you're behind or because you're not able to put everything into practice right away. I feel like we think that because we're in school and we think that because we're going to help others and we have to know these things. But in reality, we just have to learn how to come back to the basics and come back to that. Why? And yeah. why are we doing this? And and I feel like that's so helpful. Like for me, now that you said that I'm here thinking is like, I know that I, I love helping people. I love connecting with people. I mean, here I am doing this show now. <laughs> so like, right. I, I, I know that's my why is to help people and connect with people and, um, and, and help them reach their goals. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it, it got me through a lot of papers that I was like, this paper is pointless and I don't want to write another one. And so I would kind of be like, okay, this is, you know, I, just have to remind yourself that it's you're almost at that that not in destination but you're on this big journey and remembering that why as you go along is so important because really at least for me it's not just it's not a destination that I was like okay got my master's check I'm still on this journey of like okay now what do I do with my master's now that I have this passion and kind of dreaming up all these things but yeah returning to the basics and your why is is everything for me Definitely. And since you, you talk about like, okay, I'm still practicing. I'm still learning. Um, you finished it in, in last year. Yes. You finished your master's in clinical mental health counseling. So what have you been doing since then? Yeah. So after finishing my internship and practicum, I started a mental health uh, Instagram page. And so I'm kind of running that and really liking it. Actually, it's helping me stay in the material, um, which I don't want to lose touch with at all. Just 
in the counseling field period. Um, and just kind of been making networking connections and things, but also brainstorming. What do I want? What do I want with this? Is it to be a private practice counselor? Is it to, you know, X, Y, Z? There's all sorts of dreams I've thrown out there. Maybe one of them will stick one day. Um, so I just, I'm definitely a dreamer and I have to like learn how to rein it in and be like, okay, which one of these is most realistic for my future? Um, I could, I could go down so many different paths um, of what I want to do with this. Um, right now, my current dream is to open this like super affordable group counseling studio one day. And so I think like that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm in like brainstorming phase, connections phase, honestly, learning from other people who are much further along is so helpful to me. Like, Hey, what do you like about running your own private practice? Or what do you like working at this clinic and kind of seeing where to go with that? And I thought that's something I was going to learn in school. So I kind of was like, Oh, I failed. I just got through school and I don't know exactly what I want to do. What was the point? Um, so that's you in school. I hope that that is not discouraging. I hope that's only an encouragement because it's okay. I'm okay. At least. Yeah. No, I love that. And that's why we need to, to have these conversations with people that are open-minded like you who are open to talking about it because I, I know for sure there's other people that out there that have no idea what they want to do. They're starting their programs now and they maybe have no idea what the program's going to be like or what they want to do next. And, and they kind of go through that exploration phase where they, you know, through practicum and internship, they, maybe they do agency work and then they go through private practice and kind of learn, okay, maybe I like this. Maybe I like that. Maybe I want to work in grief counseling maybe I want to focus in trauma. Uh, and, and that's why I, I love having these conversations, you know, even like with you, like you said, just understanding what you want and, and what, what path to, to pursue and everyone has their own path, you know, it's so important to, to be able to have these conversations and, and help other people out there who, who may be feeling the same thing and who may be thinking like, okay, do I have to do this? I have to follow this specific thing. When in reality, it's not, we all have our, our yeah. own stories and, and different things going on in our personal lives. So, yeah. um, I think that's what was so encouraging when I said earlier, that was like so cool to me that people were coming from like engineering, like years of engineering, like 50 year olds who have been in engineering for so long or whatever it is. I'm just using engineering as an example, but I yeah. think that was what was so cool to me. And that is it helped me not put so much pressure on myself. Cause I'm like, I could think I want to do this and change my mind one day. So I don't, it just took a lot of pressure off um, for me, at least to think of it that way. Like, man, so many people go through counseling thinking they want to be a child counselor. And then they start working with kids and they're like, I cannot do this. And love working <laughs> with adults, you know? And so you can change your mind. You can, um, it just, you, it, it, the pressure can feel really real when you're in, um, ma in your masters and people are starting to kind of get you thinking about what's your niche. Mm. Um, and so that pressure can feel real and it's, it, don't uh, hear me wrong. I definitely think it's important to think about that. Um, it's extremely important, but also with the knowledge that we're human and we change. Yeah. And, and we can think about it. It doesn't mean that you have to be like, you have to figure it out right away and have the answers for it. It can exactly. be over here in your mind, but you don't yeah. have to have the answers right away. You know, it'll come up yeah. for you. And my, my supervisor spoke to this to me uh, early on, which was really cool to me. She was like, when I first started, 
I was seeing when she was younger, she was seeing kids just out of college trying to figure their lives out. And then she got married and she would see a lot of couples and then she had kids and she would see a lot of moms. And each time in her life is what she felt so passionate about. Mm. And I'm, I just thought that was really cool that I was like, man, your, your life guided your clients and your counseling and she still got to apply all of her education, which, oh my goodness, she's had a lot. And so I just, that was so cool to me that it was like, man, you're getting to connect with these people on such an authentic level and use your education. Like that's my passion right there. Like connect with people authentically and, you know, get to get to get paid for it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And I wanted to go back because you mentioned pressure, you use the word pressure that we have this pressure to, figured out what we have to do, have our niche and things like that. Another pressure that I have, I I had actually, I have to say had, because I I was having this pressure when I started the program, but quickly put a stop to it. I was like, nope, don't, don't do it. Don't go there. And the pressure was to when am I going to do my practicum and internship? And I don't know how your school was and how flexible that was. If you had to do it only when you finish classes or if it's something that you can do it simultaneously with your classes. Uh, Mine is pretty flexible. So like some people are starting already and I'm like, I don't want to start already. I don't feel comfortable. Like I want to do it maybe towards the end or maybe when I'm like 90% done with my classes, you know? So how was it for you? Did you have this pressure? Did you have a specific plan with your school and things like that? Yeah. So, wow. That's interesting. Cause what year are you in? Sorry. I'm answering your question. I'm in in my second semester. Okay. Yeah. I I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to fathom thinking about starting my practicum or internship at that point. I would have been like, I'm not ready. That's what Um, I've been thinking, but I have some people. And again, that's fine. Everyone has their own plans and and things like that. I have some people starting already on their third semester. Well, and if they have the opportunity to start getting hours, then that's great. Get your hours. Um, I think for me, it was like, I didn't, I genuinely didn't feel ready to see a client. I was like, I feel like I need to know a lot more before I'm sitting across from someone um, who, yeah, might be in a rough spot. You know, that just, that really intimidated me. Um, and so for my program, we, it was kind of, you had to do it towards the end. They had a lot of prereqs mm. before getting there. So it's kind of built in the program you have to do the practicum and internship towards the end. I took my program pretty, I I mean, it wasn't super slow. I finished in two and a half years, I think maybe Mm -hmm. three, my goodness. I don't even know, but (laughs) I, I wanted to do it towards that very end while I was tapering out classes because, and this was just my experience. We had, let's see, my practicum was a hundred hours and the internship was 600 and the internship was, was more obviously more intense. I was getting so many more hours and so many more clients. And that was school in and of itself for me. And that's where I was learning. I learned more in those 600 hours, I would say, than I did in the whole, you know, all those classes were the foundation for getting those first 600 hours. But I learned so much more. So many things started clicking and I started kind of forming my own little counselor identity to start building on. And I think that that was so beneficial because I had gone through all those classes beforehand. For me, that was my experience. I, I can I, I can relate and I'm not even there yet because I feel like 
again, nothing wrong if, if for those that are starting already and early on. And, and I, I know that there's a lot of people already that come from mental health backgrounds. Like they work exactly. in That's some what I was kinda... about to say. They could be in a completely different spot where they are more ready. Yeah. But for me, I was like, oh, man, I'm not ready. But I felt this pressure that like, oh, man, these people are starting. Should I be starting? But then I, I kind of put a stop mm-hmm. to that. Like early on, I was like, don't feel so bad. Like you're on your own. You're on your own plan here, you know? Yes, so. <laughs> your own plan. And also not to bring up a whole new topic, but for me, a lot of it was like, if I jump into this right now, I I think at certain points, if I would have jumped into it too soon, burnout would have happened really quickly. Um, so just with what, you know, doing all the school things and figuring out my life and all these things. So I think taking it at your own pace is okay. And I'm always going to be an advocate for leaving room for flexibility because so many unknowns happen in our own personal life as counselors that I remember, you know, starting my practice of an internship and, you know, certain things would happen, whether it was within my family or, you know, whatever it was, whatever life stressors came up. And I was like, starting to learn like, oh my goodness, these poor counselors, these poor therapists <laughs> have been doing this. But you know, self-care started to be a real conversation that I was like, I'm not good at self-care. We've got to start doing this or I'm not going to make it as a counselor. And I think the same goes for talking about like what pace you're taking your education at and what pace you're taking, you know, your practicum and internship at. Are you ready for it? I think that's such a mature thing to ask yourself and not just jump into it because you're seeing other people doing it because that is a real thing as a student. Like, oh, those students are in that class. Why do you be on, you know? And so it, I, I think t- talking about it from your own, what what's my pace is also really important for preventing burnout because you're getting yourself in that habit when you're in seeing clients too one day in the future what's your pace? How many clients can you take on? How many hours can you take? It's, it's starting that habit of what's your pace? What's your capacity? I think that's one of the most important questions you can ask yourself as a counselor is what capacity do you have at that moment? Yeah. Just being realistic with yourself. So important. It's self-care and so important. And it's like, every time that someone brings that topic up, I always like to talk and, and kind of get some perspective on it because I feel like sure it's talked about it in school, but and I'm not, I'm not bashing on my school saying they don't talk about it enough, but it's just so important. And it's, you don't realize it until you're like, you really need it. Like you said, like you start feeling overwhelmed, you start exactly. feeling bad. So how can you, um, for you, what worked for you? What kind of self-care yeah. would you recommend, uh, counselors or students in counseling to you? Yeah. Well, I think that's super true that you don't, you often don't realize how badly you need it until you're in a, in a place where you're like all about burnt out, your battery's almost, you know, over. So I think for me, I remember sitting in class one day and I was really, I had some amazing professors that not only preach self-care all the time, but held you accountable. Did you do that? did you reserve your Friday for you this week? And if you didn't, why? So like I had to be, so I ready to answer to my, that accountability with that my professors gave me, which I thought was incredible. I don't know if professors listen to this podcast, but please do that for your, I mean, don't, you don't have to be everyone's accountability partner, but just the reminder of self-care from my professor, I thought was really cool. Um, So first of all, little plug there, that was really helpful having people encourage self-care, but also I remember sitting in class one day before I really had, it had clicked how important it was. And 
oh gosh, I don't know. It's counseling. We're a bunch of counseling students. Something happened. We were all getting vulnerable with each other and opening up. <laughs> Typical and like, counseling setting, you right, know? Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> probably when like where the conversation turned deep really quickly, um, the outsiders probably would have been like, y'all are weird. Um, but I remember it wasn't my experience when someone was talking and I remember just started, like I started crying, like in class, in front of everyone, cameras on. And I like started really crying. And my professors, of course, I think that they're self-care professors, um, asked me to stay after. And I just remember something they said to me stuck with me so much. They were like, you know, really asked me what my plan for self-care was. And they really started asking and they wanted specifics. And I was like, I don't know. They were like, well, what do you do now? And I was like, I go on a walk. Is that self-care? Like, <laughs> like oh, God, I don't know. What do you want me to say? Um, but they were like, you know, pretty much called me out. We're like, you need, you need a better answer because you're a good counselor now, but we want to make you a great counselor and great counselors take care of themselves too. And I remember, I'm sure I started crying even more because now I'm feeling like I'm failing at self-care and all this <laughs> stuff. But I, that was like my point when someone else called it out in me, like, Hey, you're not taking, because that's what happens if you're not taking care of yourself. It's coming out on the people Other around people. you. Um, I don't know if that answered the question, but I think it's, it takes a lot of check-ins with yourself. How do you mm. genuinely feel? Do you feel rested? Do you feel that, like that question earlier, what's your capacity right now? And if it feels full, then how can you, you know, whatever self-care is going to look different at different times in life. Sometimes you're busy or sometimes you're, I'm not very busy right now. So self-care is going well for me, but I know that that's going to change in a month because that's just how life goes. Um, and so it's starting to build those habits um, and checking in with myself of what self-care looks like in each season. Cause it's okay for it to look different, but it does need to happen no matter yeah. what. Yeah, so important. I, I completely agree. And jumping jumping into like practicum and internship, was how how do you feel self-care was for you during those times? Like actually talking to to clients and feeling feeling their their stories and connecting with them. Did that change for you? Did that do anything oh to you emotionally? <laughs> so much. Yeah, I think and I I hope, yeah, that that's something that everyone, I know all counseling students talk about counter transference and yeah. how, how that empowered clients stories impacting you on a personal level. And it's, it takes a lot of training to compose yourself of someone's like saying something that resonates a little too well for you as a counselor. And then you want to start crying, you know, or whatever it is. I say crying because I just, I cry a lot, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, yeah, definitely impacted me, definitely impacted my need for self-care as well, because I remember sitting in sessions and I told you, I saw a lot of teenagers. I was not expecting this many teenage clients, but I started my practicum and internship in the middle of COVID. Mm. Like it was, it was March, COVID had just hit and I was starting my practicum. So it was like, all of us students were like, where is this in the textbook? And where is worldwide pandemic in the textbooks? Because I don't know how to help people through this, much less myself. Um, and so actually, yeah, you asking me that question actually really brings that up because that was such a big topic when I started with my clients because they were like, so many of them needed social connection and I couldn't just help them find social connection. 
because it was COVID. I mean, I, you know, online and stuff, but it was, it's not the same when you're in high school and you're in your prime social years. Um, and so I remember sitting there thinking like, man, I need all the same things my clients do. And I remember that being really hard for me. And it's when I remember going back to like, kind of what we were talking about earlier is I was like, I have to just return to the basics sometimes. Well, not sometimes, most of the time you are not, it's not an easy fix for your clients. A lot of the times I was like, man, I felt that too. And obviously not saying that, but channeling that sympathy and empathy in those moments for your client is, is so important. But then also putting a pin in that and after the session being like, okay, why am I feeling so sad or drained? Clearly something hit me in a specific way in that session. Let's, you know, processing for yourself, whether that's having your own therapist, which I will preach to the end of time. Counselors need counselors. Um, yes, preach. Or just, I... <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or just checking in with yourself. Why did that person's story touch you so much? Is there something unprocessed in you that mm. you do need to go unpack with a counselor or a journal or what, you know, whatever it is. I could go through all the coping skills, but um, I think, yeah, it was, it definitely opened my eyes quickly. Number one to, okay channel the empathy so that counter-transference doesn't become inappropriate in session. Um, but also what are you doing to take care of yourself outside of that? And I think that's a great question you asked because I don't think I ever really thought of how much that specific aspect of counseling impacted my self-care. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. It's so important because it's like the first time you're actually speaking to someone outside of those mock scenarios with other students and things like that, you know, and you don't choose the conversation you're going to have all of a sudden you're you're talking to someone who you may have an issue that you relate to in a deeper level and you now you have yeah. to help them and then it's like okay how do i take care of myself in this case so exactly so important exactly yeah because i think for me transparent moment i you know was my parents are kind of they divorced in my adulthood and I, whenever I was with clients that would speak of divorce, this is just an example. Hopefully it helps someone. It could be anything. I was like, I had a really hard time processing it with that person when they would bring that up. Mm. And so then it was like, you know, I would talk with my supervisor who again, it was amazing. And she, you know, people would kind of be like, well, maybe you need to do some more process so that you are okay processing that with other people, because we can't pick and choose our clients. I can't be like, I can't see anyone who has had any divorce history in their life. <laughs> yeah. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. So, so it's like, okay, therefore it was like showing me how stubborn I was with my self care. So then just go process it, Sarah, just go take care of yourself and get into it. I know it's scary, but you can do it. Um, yeah. I think that's, I think it's just really important to check in with yourself. Why are certain topics hitting you in certain ways and what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Might be a hard truth. That might be a hard truth to say. I hope that wasn't too harsh, but. Yeah, um, no, but it's so true. So important. You can't pick and choose what you're going to talk about every day. It's going to happen right there in that moment. You know, in a way it's going to help you. Like you're going to see like, oh, this is affecting me. All right, let me go take care of that. You know, (laughs) so that's the cool thing of being counselors for me. uh, It's like, so you connect with others, but you're connecting with yourself. It's such a rewarding feeling. So I love that. (laughs) Yeah, you really are. I learned more about myself than I ever had going through my master's program because you're almost practicing counseling on yourself throughout the whole program. I mean, I don't know about your program. That's what I felt like. Yeah. We're having me do. I was like, Oh my goodness, this is 
not what I signed up for. The more I accepted it, I was like, well, this is really good for me. And it's, it's what I think allows and creates good counselors is when you start to do that reflective stuff for yourself. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And I wanted to ask you a few more questions before we wrap up. But one of them was because you kind of touched on the subject when you did your, your practicum and internship, you, you, it was right when COVID hit. So, yeah. And then you had to, I think mostly you probably did it online, but what kind of setting did you work in for your, for your internships? Was it like private practices or community health agencies? Yeah, I worked at, oh my goodness, I feel so lucky with where I got to work um, because it was a private practice. Um, it was, it's a supervisor who was supervising one other person who was going, she was much further along than I was. She was getting her license. So I was under someone who's very experienced. I think she may on, I don't know how, quite how many years were under her belt, 10 or so, I think. Um, yeah, I think more than that. She, um was supervising uh, someone getting their license and then me, this baby practicum student who I, and then I continued on my internship at the same place. Um, and again, because of COVID, it was so crazy. No one was doing interviews in person or anything. And I threw out my name and my resume to all these different places. And this was the only place that got back to me and I got the job. Thank goodness. Um, and I, yeah, it, it was so super crazy doing it through COVID. Um, but she was just so, I loved my supervisor. If you can't tell, I speak very highly of her. Just <laughs> She was so curious. She was one of the people who really was so helpful in my self-care and, and really not only made that a part of my counseling, um, identity, but was, was just genuinely check in with me like, Hey, I noticed this is a really hard client. How are you doing with that? Is there anything I can help you? She was just so good at checking in with that. So that was really, really helpful. Um, but working in the private practice setting is what I did for my practice of an internship. And I, I mean, really, I loved it. It was amazing. And I think a lot of it's because I had such an attentive supervisor. That's awesome. That's good to hear. And, and since you talk highly of your supervisor and how important it is that that connection that you had with her, what would you say it's one of the most important things for you, of course, you know, it's your opinion, but what would you say is one of the most important things when students are looking for supervisees? Yeah. Um, when they're looking for, like when you're, what, what's the most important thing to look for in a supervisor when you're looking for one? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. I think, oh goodness. Yeah. That I mean, what I just said is probably one of the most important things is like how, what is their capacity? And you might not be able to ask that so bluntly to them. Um, but, but I think kind of gauging that is really important. Do they have, because I, I, man, that's one of the times I talk to students the most. And I genuinely would keep my mouth shut a lot of the time listening to students, whether it was venting or whatever it is about how hard their practicum and internship internships were because they weren't getting the attention and the, the questions we have, that's when the most questions start coming up. Like, I didn't know how many questions I would have until I was in front of a client, like, I don't know where to go from here. I need something to do with this client. I don't know. Um, so I think being able to shoot my supervisor a text, something as simple as that, because she allowed that relationship. How, how available do they make themselves to you? And while, of course, we have to be realistic as students, they can't give us, you know, 
you know, eight hours a day to sit here and debrief all your client sessions, even mm -hmm. though that would be amazing because honestly, that would be really helpful. Um, <laughs> but, but being realistic about it, but how available are they and how, how passionate do they seem about being in that teaching guiding role, I think is some, I feel like I'm naming a million things right now. Um, <laughs> but all of those things are really, really important when looking for a supervisor. And honestly, I'm just in full transparency. I wasn't looking, I just, I wasn't even looking for that. I just took the first job and got so lucky. It was amazing. I had an amazing experience. I feel like I learned so much. Um, but I know I say I got so lucky because I heard so many other stories where students were really not feeling like they were getting their questions answered that they needed. And so that is also why, even if that's your experience, these types of relationships and creating connections with other students is super important because you can't, you know, you can't just go talk to anyone about these things. And, and I mean, ideally your supervisor is your go-to person because they're the only one you're allowed to be debriefing confidentiality wise with your specific situations. So, yeah. So important. Thank you for that. Oh, I, I learned so much with these. I, I really appreciate it. You have no idea how helpful it is for me and hoping, hoping we can help other students in the field as well. So before we wrap up, I want to ask you three important tips that you would recommend anyone in the counseling industry or any student either starting a program or already in their program. Any tips? Three tips. Oh, goodness. Okay. Three tips. Well, first of all, I would say, what is your why? I think that's, that's my one tip. That's always going to be my number one, because come, come rain or shine, you're going to need to remember why you're in this, especially in those storms, because they can, they can really test your perseverance is probably the best way I can put it. So remembering your why and continuing to develop your why you can add to your why as you keep going. I think that's something that's been encouraging to me. Like, you know, I had all these little affirmations going into counseling, but then as I started really counseling, I like my passion for it deepened so much because I was like, whoa, this is really cool um, to connect with this many people and get the privilege to hear people's stories and, and realizing that it really is a privilege to be sitting in the counselor chair. Mm. Um, okay. Remember your why. And specifically to students in the field, if you haven't gotten your own counselor, get your own counselor. Whether it's a life coach counselor, get someone who you're also benefiting from the service that we believe in so much. Yeah. Because um, there's people we believe in it. So I think that's my probably number two tip. Remember your why and then benefit from it yourself because it is amazing. And there are counselors who have the capacity to to invest in you and believe in you and just be that safe space for you, which we all need, especially if you're going there. I don't know. I don't care if you're a student sitting here, like I don't need counseling, whatever it is. I, I think having that foundation and being the client helps you under, helps you as a counselor more than anything else. Um, so was that three? That's that was two. two. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, keeping tabs on you. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I, I know this is probably really redundant, but I really would say self-care is going to allow for longevity in the field. It's going to allow for that endurance. And so, I mean, because it was preached into me so much, it's probably why I preach it so much now, but it really is everything. I I am so happy that my, one of my professors 
made me stay after class after seeing like, whoa, she had a weirdly emotional reaction that was not warranted. Let's check in with her. Um, and so when I say self-care, I'm going to change that to check in with yourself. If you're not going to get a counselor, which I just recommend you do at least baseline check in with yourself, like give yourself a thermometer and the number one being your at capacity, the bottom being, you know, you're doing fine. Check in. Where are you at on that? on that gauge and, and then go from there, whether that means you need counseling or maybe that means you just need to journal more or add some walks, get some sunshine into your, you know, it could be a long, um, a wide spectrum of what you need, but we all need something. We all can pour into ourselves more and, and maybe pouring into yourself means putting in more work in some places. It doesn't always mean, you know, taking the breath. So self-care can mean so many different things. So when I say that, I don't mean just like go rest, go get a facial, go whatever, but really check in with yourself and address what are your needs. I love that. That's amazing. Thank you so much. That's so helpful. I really enjoyed that conversation, Sarah. Please tell everyone where they can find you online so people can connect with you further. Yeah. Okay. Online, my, uh, my Instagram handle is sufficient with Sarah all under case. Yes. Yeah. I love it. So connect with Sarah there, everyone. Again, Sarah, thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this. Uh, I'm very excited that we did it. I really liked it. I learned a lot from it and I'm excited to, to help others as well. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was fun. (laughs) It was. Thank you so much.